Hello and welcome to the Seamills and Coomdingle Community Podcast, a new venture brought to you from the Seamills 100 Heritage Project. Due to COVID-19, we haven't been able to bring you all the normal events, so this is an alternative way to reach you with some heritage, some news and some trips down memory lane. Later on, Sam Saunders takes a read of the junior school logbook and Johnny Walker has a wander on the wreck. But first, June Williams talks to Jackie Rinaldi about her memories, good and bad, of World War II. The ARC project were kind enough to lend us their van as a mobile recording studio last year, so we joined Jackie and June outside the Methodist Church with a view of the square. The play area that we're sitting just by, today it's blue skies above us. You must have memories of playing round and about there. How's it differed? Uh, it wasn't a play area when I was a little girl. I came back from being evacuated um, in when I was seven, I think, because the bombing had gone over to Bath, so my mother had me brought back anyway. And that was an underground airway shelter, a really big one. It was vast. You, you went, you had to walk down into it. Mm-hmm. And if you had a family, you turned right, because that's where the families with children went. If you didn't have children, you turned left, and that's where the people without children went. And it was just a big play area. We had a wonderful time there. Um, it, it, it stretched really far back, and there were no lights at the back, but I, I, we even had our own bunks. My brothers and I had our own bunks that we slept in every time there was an air raid. Um, but when we used to play hide-and-seek round at the back, it was at the time when the Americans were based on the golf links. And they used to go to the back with their girlfriends. And if we kids came around playing hide-and-seek, they would put their hands in their pocket, give us a handful of silver, say, here are kid, go back to your ma. And we used to go back to our mothers and say, look what the soldiers gave us, Mum. Oh, lovely. Go and play again. <laughs> I think our parents made quite a lot of money out of it. <laughs> what did you have to take down into the air raid shelter, do you remember? Uh, I can't remember because if my father was on nights and the sirens went, then the air raid wardens used to come across and collect us. And one would pick me up, one would grab my elder brother by the hand, one would take my younger brother and we just used to run across the square with the planes fighting up above and the searchlights going it was exciting really I think when you're a child you don't get frightened mm, mm. so I remember the war as being quite exciting mm. there was always something going on we were always collecting for something you know we used to go around collecting waste paper for spitfires and things like that I think or saucepans for spitfires right. and there was always something going on at the school that would they would include you and no, it, it was it was fine. And if you went there, then you were out picking up shrapnel in the morning, and then swapping it the next day at school. Do you know what a shrapnel is? I know. Yeah. What it was. <laughs> yeah. So, mm. what was it like? Kind of describe. What's your memories of when there was a fight going on above us in the sky? Uh, well, there again, it was exciting because my father used to take us out to watch it, with my mother being very cross and get those kids back in. You could actually see the shrapnel falling. But that would have been, I think that eased off towards uh, probably after 44. No, but we used to see a lot of dog fights, as they were called, mm-hmm. cheering on the Spitfires. Yeah. The night the home was bombed, 
What do you remember of that? I think I was asleep. Then we were in the Anderson shelter at the bottom of the garden. There was my mother, my father, my older brother, and my little brother who was just over a year, I think, and I would have been around five. And I think I must have been asleep. But my father never liked to go down into that shelter. And this particular night, my mother had sent my brother up to get him down and also to pick up a bottle for the baby, which had been left on the, the cooker. As they came down the path, so the bomb fell and hit the house. And apparently my younger brother had a, a convulsion. But I must have been asleep because I don't remember it. Don't, I don't remember my mother panicking, which apparently she did, I, I, about the baby having a convulsion. Mm. Um, all I remember that the next day is being in the garden and what the bomb on the fire didn't destroy, the um, water from the um, fireman's pumps destroyed. Mm. And I remember I had a very, very pretty Easter bonnet, which was pale pink with tiny pretty rosebuds around it. And I remember picking it up, and I think I was showing off. And I said to the little kids, ah, look at my bonnet, and it was dripping with water. And my mother smacked my hand and said, put it down. She was obviously very distressed. Um, and then the, we were moved to the boys' club, which was just a big, black wooden hut next to the library and I, I don't know how long we lived there but my mother we had nothing we had nothing left at all we were sleeping on them um, sort of straw palliasses on the ground there was one big oven you know one of those big iron things that with a pipe that went up through the roof mm -hmm. I don't I don't remember if there were toilets there I'm sure there wasn't hot water there I, I don't know how she did it really and then when um, relations of relations offered to take me in and wrap it on Avon, I was um, sent off to be evacuated. And I remember going off on the train with my dad thinking, oh, just dad and I going out for the day, lovely. My brother wasn't included, I thought that was lovely. We went on this very pretty ride to wrap it on Avon and I remember looking at all the pretty stations and all the flowers. But and you know, how old were you then? Uh, six. But I don't remember my father leaving me. I mean, I must have been I think I've just buried it all, you know? Mm -hmm. I must have been distraught. Anyway, about... I must have been unhappy because within months my older brother was sent up um, to be with me. Mm. And um, I was okay after that once I had my brother with me. And I had very nice people. They were beautiful people. They loved... How was life different in Bradford? Uh, well, <laughs> you only have one class in the school. <laughs> I don't think I got taught anything for a year. I think I was reasonably bright at C Mill School, but when I came back, I, I don't think I could barely read anymore, um, because I think we just played, just played. My brother had already gone because he was nine, so he, he'd already he could do the maths and he could do the reading, you know. So it he didn't affect him at all. But I think it, I did think that affected my education. And, um, no, it was. There were quite a, yeah. There were a couple of other Bristol girls there that I knew through my mother's family and I just remember playing in the streets and because we didn't have any bombing up there mm. oh I've got a funny story you probably haven't got time to hear it have you mm. I've got a really funny story um before my I think it was before my brother came up with me my the people I was I was staying with were going to go out in the evening with another couple further down the road who had a 17 year old daughter called Joyce and apparently she was detailed to look after me for the evening so I was taken down and she obviously didn't want to do it. And I, the, the row was going on above my head when I'm not looking after her. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not staying in. I'm going to a dance at the Guildhall. No, you're not. Yes, I am. No, you're not. Yes, you are. 
<laughs> and she flung herself down beside me, folded her arms. And at the time, there was a hit song called This is a Lovely Way to Spend an Evening. Excuse the singing, but she sang. <laughs> this is a lovely way to spend an evening. Can't think of anything else I'd rather do. <laughs> Glaring at me. So her mother said, all right, you can go, but take her with you. So she grabbed me, she said, come on you. And I ended up going to an American dance at the Gear Tour, where I was danced around in American GI's arms all night. <laughs> oh. Yeah, can I said, there, can I go again? No, you can't. <laughs> oh. What do you remember of the music? Oh, I love the music. We just sang all the time. I think singing took us through the war. We sang in the shelters. All the time we sang in the shelters. Yeah, I sang. I loved singing. Mm. Can't sing now, but I'm in the, I mean, uh, they were romantic songs, weren't they? They were romantic songs and all about, you know, going away and meeting up and missing you. And mm -hmm. um, it was a much more romantic time. June Williams talking to Jackie Rinaldi there. If you're listening to this podcast online or via download and you know others in Seamills or Coombe Dingle who'd like to listen but are not online, get in touch. We're able to deliver the podcast on a standalone player, which people can borrow while they're listening in their own home. Drop us a line at info at cmills100, that's cmills100.co.uk, and we'll help. Next, Sam Saunders is one of our wonderful volunteers at Seamills 100, and he's been reading something quite exciting for us, haven't you, Sam? Very exciting indeed. Yes, I've been looking through the Seamills Junior Mixed Council School, as it is written on the very first page, uh, logbook, starting from day dot, 5th of October 1931. That's the first day of the school opening. Very first entry in the book. So the school opened on this day with 238 scholars from existing junior and infant school. So prior to that, some of those children would have been learning at what lots of local people will remember as the Black Hut, a, a hut that was in place as St Edith's Church at that time. So the school was actually happening there. A multi-use building. Put there by local people as well. It was arranged by them. So I think everything happened there initially. It was one of the few facilities there were. Uh, the first entry uh, then goes on to list our staff. We've got the headmaster, Mr Bickle. We've got Miss E.C. Jeddah, Miss E.F. Harris, Miss D.R. Lee, and then Mr F.G. Snell and Mr R.H. Hunkin. So an equal split then, men and women teaching. Yes, three and three. Well, two male teachers, three female teachers, and then the headmaster, male, yeah. And, and I'm interested to see Mr Hunkin's name there because we, we've uh, been recording oral histories and we've actually got a mention of um, Mr Hunkin from Joan Castell who was uh, quite complimentary about him. There was one teacher, especially, he was a wonderful teacher and I'm sure his name was Mr Hunkin. So if anyone else is listening, they'll remember him. All the teachers used to teach everything then, but he was lonely the person that got me interested in the world and geography. And he's the one person that made me want to travel. I used to love his lessons, geography lessons. I couldn't wait for them. 
I know a few teachers and I'm sure if any of them ever got feedback like that, they'd be very happy. Yeah. So what happens next then? But the next entries, um, if you go into the, the second week, 102 children see the school dentist. I can remember. I mean, I went to school a little bit later than 1931. I can still remember seeing school dentists. And then there's also uh, mentions of the school nurse all the way through the parts of this logbook that I've seen so far. There's a school doctor. Mm. It's interesting, though, because this is pre-NHS. This is pre the introduction of a national health service. Yeah, it's something, it's something we could look into, isn't it, to find out how that happened, or maybe someone who's listening to this can, can tell us. Yeah, it'd be interesting to know. But speaking of uh, doctors, though, they, it does go on two weeks after that, so we're now on the 26th of October, the school having opened on the 5th, and we've got an outbreak of chickenpox. So within... Just a few weeks, we've got um, attendance slowly dropping because so many of the children are catching chickenpox. What else have we got in this kind of couple of years here? One thing that they're always keen to mention in this logbook, and it gets mentioned every year, is the armistice service that is held at the school. Um, so in the very first instance in 1931, there were 100 parents present, as well as all of the children. In that year, the Reverend G. Douglas Evans spoke to the children. Uh, he gave them a talk on the League of Nations, and it was apparently attentively listened to by all present. I assume you've got one for 1932 as well, that service. Um, yes, so going into 1932, so it's a slightly shorter entry, but it says... An armistice service was held in the hall this morning. A large number of parents were present, the speakers being Messrs. Prince and Bacon, whoever they were. What's interesting about that one is that we've got a photograph um, dated 1932 of a large number of children who are obviously uh, members of that school because you can see the, the school in the background and, it, it, and it's labelled Seamill School. And we didn't notice for a while, but it looks like they're wearing uh, poppies. So we're wondering if that that might actually even be from the day that service was held. Ah. So that is actually, that's on the website if um, if anybody wants to have a look to see if they can identify anyone in it because we've only identified one child so far. Interesting. Who's in that one. So we'd be very keen to know who else is in it. One of the things that does regularly crop up is there is a regular scripture exam to, I believe, in part, make sure that the, the scriptures are being taught correctly. And um, there are some moments later on in, in the log book that complement the school on that. The interesting part of the first scripture exam that we have is the uh, special visitor that they have to come and administer said exam. Uh, we have a sir, a sir with a fantastic name. On the 4th of March, 1932, the annual scripture examination was held, superintended by Sir Lionel Goodenough Taylor, supported by Miss Gunning, Reverend Cardwell, William Prince. I think that might be our prince from the armistice uh, service. Oh, uh, yeah, could be. Uh, e. Griffiths Davis, Esquire, and George A. Collins, Esquire, with 232 children present for that. I, I had a little bit of a look into good enough taylor if you type his name into google the first thing that comes up is the national portrait gallery there are a couple of pictures of him on there he was once upon a time the sheriff of bristol political lobbyist and sheriff of bristol okay that's interesting so we don't know anything more about him at this stage maybe further research required well look sam i'm gonna leave that one for now today and um we will talk to you next time and see what you've found out from the next little bit of the logbook yes good to talk to you 
Thank you, Sam. We'll look forward to hearing more next time. The new Sea Mills and Coon Dingle Together organisation have been asking local residents what they'd like to see improved in the local area. Johnny Walker's been out and about on Sea Mills Wreck to see who he could find. My name is Alex Marsh. And Alex, you've been coming through this park every morning. We're standing in a beautiful park this morning, beautiful sunshine. <laughs> and we're thinking about maybe as a community putting some benches in. What do you think about that? Excellent idea. Excellent idea. What, what, I've what? up and down this road for a good 20 years since I retired. And uh, I often wondered, why do I have to travel so far to the bus stop before I can get a seat? And it's very annoying sometimes, especially with a bad back. What about your dogs? Would that be, do you oh, ever yes. walk your dogs in the park? And what, I walk that the dogs be? in the park. Well, this is the park I use mostly now because it's a flat. There's no hills and dales and all that sort of thing. So I use this one more and it's on the way to the shops. And I can pick up my groceries and milk. Wonderful. And papers. What do you think about the dog litter bins and that sort of thing? Do you think there should be more of them or...? If there was any, anything to be done, it would probably one more. Because there's four entrances and we only have two dog litters. Yeah. So one more would probably Bluebell Woods there, entrance to Bluebell Woods or Sylvian Way. One or the other. Okay, thank you. And That's wonderful. on the way out could easily pick the litter yeah. up and deposit it. Sea Mills and Coombe Dingle together are currently chasing up the bench and litter bins that were long ago promised for the wreck and hope to have some positive news about that soon. You can contact Sea Mills and Coombe Dingle together or find out more about what they're doing at their website, seamillsandcoombedingle.com. If you aren't online, speak to the person who delivered this podcast to you and they can put you in touch. Remember, if you've got friends or relatives in Seamills and Coomdingle who you think might enjoy listening but aren't online, we can deliver this podcast to them. Get in touch at info at seamills100.co.uk and do use the same address if you'd like to comment or help or contribute to the podcast. That's all for this edition of the Seamills and Coomdingle podcast. Thank you to everyone who helped make this possible. And we'll be back soon.